The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Maria. Let's just take a moment, um, as we often do on Saturday evenings after a long day running around and having worshipped the Lord in song. Thank you, team, for that. Uh, Just close your eyes, take a deep breath, and maybe um, say these words if you'd like. Lord, abide in me as I abide in you. Lord, abide in us as we abide in you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you for this time. Please bless us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. So if you'd like, I invite you to turn or swipe to Acts chapter 11. If we'd like to follow along, we're going to be returning to that passage here this evening. So that's Acts chapter 11. We just pray to abide in me as I abide in you, because we're in this series um, of living life in the living Christ. Jesus said those words to his disciples, and it's this strange and mysterious relationship in which Easter is not just a nice holiday or event in which we say, hooray, Jesus, back with a vengeance. Take that, Romans. It's actually a daily reality in which we can live out with him in him, for him, through him, to put that new creation that Jesus won in the resurrection into effect. Look at these new banners Freeman got up today. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone, the what? New has come. Paul would even say, if anyone is in Christ, and it's like headline bulletin, boom, new creation. That's what he just says. He's like, If anyone is in Christ, 
new creation. God's new creation, new kingdom has broken into this old world and we are to live in light of that reality. It should recolor, reframe everything about our lives. Not just because we went and got Easter eggs for Easter, but because Jesus is alive and we are living in him. That's what we're up to. And we're doing that in each week, each scene in Acts, because these guys got it. They got it and they're living in light of the resurrection. So tonight our uh, text in Peter, uh, Peter is talking in Acts chapter 11. The theme that jumps out to me is this idea of openness, this idea of openness. And before we get into that, we have to face the facts that every time we open up the Bible, we face a people and a context and a culture that is vastly different from our own, or so it seems. So when we look here at this passage that Maria just read and we see Romans and Jews and Gentiles and all these people groups that you don't really consider or think much about in your day to day. You don't walk up to somebody and say, oh, hey, you're a Roman, unless you're in Rome, right? But we have to understand that this culture in this passage, which may seem pretty far removed from us today, because y'all aren't washing your hands and saying I'm unclean because I'm a Jew, are you? No, because you're all Gentiles. But who calls you a Gentile? Do you call yourself a Gentile? Is that on your business cards? Do you even still have business cards? Or is that just Bud and I? Just Bud and I? We've got tons of business cards. If you want some, you can have some, okay? Give them to your friends if they need a pastor in their life. Gentile is not on your radar. Rome is not on your radar. Jewish people are not on your radar. But you know what is on our radar? The division that those three groups felt, that division is still present in our world today. Because whether it's 2,000 years ago or today, what people love to do is gather up into tribes and say, here's the boundary, I'm in, this is us, and you are over here outside of the boundary, you are them. One thing that this passage is dealing with, a, a controversy that plagued the early church, is this idea of division. That this is your group over here and our group over here. And the two biggest groups that the church was composed of were Jewish people and Gentile people. Now here's the problem. They both came and followed a Jewish Messiah. But the Jewish Messiah didn't just die for the Jewish folks. He died for the world. And that's all nice and good. Until you've lived your entire life being a holy Jewish person who didn't eat this, but they did eat that. And they didn't touch this, but they did touch that. And then they rested one day a week, but then they worked these other days a week. Your whole life was about division. The Bible word for that is holy. Y'all hear holy and we think halo and angels. And there is some connotation to that. But brass tacks, holiness, what does it mean? separate. Your whole life has been separate. You've been living in light of those divisions, but now the resurrection has come. The doors of new creation have blown open, and now those dividing lines, those divisions are no longer applicable in God's kingdom. This is the problem of the early church, and it's a problem for us today. Look at this political climate. Good heavens, we should all stop and just pray all night. Because we have a nation divided. We even have Christians divided because some Christians cannot 
understand how these Christians can support this person, and then those Christians can't believe how these Christians can support that person. And you'd think, this if you go on Facebook, you'd even think like, I don't know, changing the $20 bill. Oh, no big deal. It's a big deal, evidently. There's division, 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 division. May not be Jew, Gentile, Rome, but my goodness is there division. And this thing, because we're all human, just like the early church, creeps into our church. Maybe not our church providence, because you're all lovely people. But in the broader church, division sneaks into the church, but the Spirit is always working to dismantle it. The resurrection we're going to see tonight overturns those divisions that we would say in this context, the religion, the religiosity that we want to keep, the the dividing lines, these barriers. We're going to see that the resurrection has overturned all those distinctions and it overhauls relationships. And here's what I mean. And here's what we're going to see. When the religious barriers of the Jew and Gentile split that we see in the book of Acts, when that division is knocked down, it doesn't just mean like Peter can eat whatever he wants. Y'all remember that in the reading, the four-legged animals and reptiles and all this? It doesn't just mean that that barrier means that he can now go and order anything off the value menu he wants. It means that he can now sit at a table with anyone he wants. Because the resurrection overturns the religious barriers, the us versus them, any kind of barriers, and it overhauls these relationships. Now we have an open door policy in the kingdom of God. Because the house that God has built in his church has no walls inside of it. Imagine an enormous convention center. You walk in and it's filled with all the wrong kinds of people. This is the kingdom of God house that he's building. And this is where we see it begin to take root in people's lives. And it's got to start with Peter because he's on the move with the Spirit, living in the living Christ, and he is preaching and witnessing of this Jesus. Okay? Because when Jesus came, he didn't go and institute a new religion so we could be more holy just so we can set up more barriers. Jesus came and he said, here's this nice buffet of religions. We've got the Roman pagans. We've got the Jewish um, religion that I'm coming out of. They've got the Sadducee faction, the Pharisee faction, the Zealous faction. We've got these people worshiping Diana. We've got these people worshiping Artemis uh, or any, any other person. He says, look at all this nice buffet of religion. And what Jesus does is he wipes the entire buffet clean. And he says, I've not come to give you a new way, I am the way. Come to me, that's it. Jesus overhauls relationships because when we come to me, when we come to him, we start to follow with all the people. Red and yellow, black and white, all precious in his sight. All those folks. So that's what we're after. The resurrection overturns religion, overhauls relationships. You're still wondering what does this communicate for us today? We'll get there. Stay with me. Let's look again at chapter 11. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. News traveled fast, and what they mean is there are some Gentiles who were the them for many, many years, and they heard the gospel that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, and they can get in too. So news had traveled to them, okay? And what's happening in chapter 11 is a restatement of everything that happened in chapter 10, okay? Who's holding actual physical Bibles, yes? If you flipped one page back, you will see note for note a this scene that Peter's about to say when he makes an account for himself 
pretty well laid out there in chapter 10. Now, you might ask, why on earth? This thing got enough pages. Why do we need another page of this? Well, imagine you're sitting in a dining room and you're sitting with about 20 other folks. And this letter comes from this guy named Luke and it's called the Acts. Well, they probably didn't call it anything. It's just some letter that Luke wrote And it's talking about all that Jesus began to do and teach, but all that he's continuing to do through guys like Peter and Paul and James and George and Ringo. You with me? Okay. Imagine you're listening to this letter, not reading it. And you hear this scene in which a guy named Cornelius gets a vision that an angel says, Hey, Cornelius, Roman, one of the them, far from the right holy people. Yes, I am God and I'm talking to you. Your ears begin to perk up. Rome, they're the one that's oppressing us. They're crucifying us. They're stoning us. They're whipping us. They're saying peace of Rome, but what that peace means is a sword that comes and lays us out. This guy, and the angel says, hey, you've cared for the poor. I've seen this. And you see God on his own initiative looking for this dude who was the wrong dude. He was the them, okay? And you read or you hear in Acts chapter 10, okay, what is going to happen? He says, hey, go and send for this cat named Peter. He's staying at this guy, Simon's house, who's a tanner in Joppa. Peter was in Joppa last week when Kathy preached because he had just raised a dead girl to life. A dead woman to life. I would go find Peter too, yes? If nothing else but to save some money on a funeral, right? This angel says, go and find Peter. So then we have this scene that Peter is going to explain because what happened is so important that Luke wanted to include it twice. Because when you're hearing it in chapter 10... And you hear this incredible scene that Maria just read and we're looking at tonight. You say, whoa, even Romans, Gentiles, wait a minute, his whole house, you mean slaves and women, not just the righteous Jewish dudes, what? And then Luke says, yeah, guess what? When the righteous Jewish Christians hear about this. I've got to rehash this entire story in my book again because I want you to hear this story again. It is that important. Why? Because division was that rampant. Just like in our culture today, you troll through your Facebook feed and you divide up these Christians over here, they're this way, and you divide up those Christians over here, they're that way. We do this too. And God forbid it ever happens in this church. Not just on our Facebook feed, but in this church. The enemy wants to divide. Humanity wants to divide. We love being connected. We're made for connection. But one of the ways we like to connect is the junior high way of coming over here and say, Hey man, did you see Sarah over there? That's some funky white jeans she's got over there. Who wears white jeans? It's 2016, girl. We like to put them down and put us up, and the same is true today. We like to connect by disconnecting. And so what's happening is this new movement has come from this Jewish religion, 
and they're Jewish people who live their whole lives being connected to Yahweh and Yahweh's people. Are you with me? And now all of a sudden, the word on the street is the people we've disconnected from are now wanting in on this new movement of God. But the resurrection overturns religion and it overhauls relationships. And Peter comes to these people who are not hip to this new movement of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, that's a way of saying the Jewish ways or followers of Jesus criticized him. How'd they criticize him? They went over there and said he was wearing white jeans, man. I don't know, whatever, white jeans, whatever, take your pick. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. How many of you have been in a legalistic person or encountered legalistic people? Do you know what I mean when I say the word legalistic? Yes. I went to Ukraine when I was a sophomore in college for a few weeks, and I went with a bunch of Christians from all over the kind of southeastern United States, and I didn't know a lot of these people. We did some training before we went over there, but they came from uh, varied backgrounds, and several of them came from a very fundamentalist, conservative, Baptist background. Lovely, great people. And then we get to Ukraine, and, and I realize why we were instructed to wear suits and button-down shirts and ties in the poorest villages and orphanages of Ukraine. Because these people thought that to follow Jesus meant to always have your Sunday best and be the nice Western American that comes and shows them when you come to Jesus, you can look dope. And so what happens is when we're uh, unwinding that evening and I had just read like blue like jazz on the plane right over. So I'm like not even hip to all this at all. I'm like, wait a minute, dudes. But then we're unwinding at the hotel and we're talking with our translators. And then they comment on my little tattoo that I have right here after I take my suit off. Right. And they say, what is this? Do a lot of Americans have tattoos? Our group leader went ahead and fielded that question for them and said, well, you see, if Christians have tattoos, it's because they sinned. They either sinned when they were a Christian because they did not obey Leviticus, or they sinned and made a terrible choice before they were a Christian and they have to suffer with that consequence for the rest of their life. So I got to try out some translating interpreter English with these people when I said, wait a second. No, let me tell you what this means. If I sat down and told my parents about how I could do this as a Christian with Leviticus, I can tell you and these interpreters too. And so I ran into a case of the, hey, I've given my life to Jesus, but I've not given up all the religious way of life with him. I didn't give up my religion. Side note, in that chapter of Leviticus, it says no tattoos. It also says don't wear um, shirts with mixed fabric. So if you check tonight or right now, like if you've got a polyester, like a poly cotton thing, you're sinning too in this guy's view, okay? No, why? Because this is the Jewish covenantal holy code of how they ate and how they lived their lives. And Jesus did not come to abolish it, but fulfill it. And Jesus says, hey, 
I'm wiping the buffet clean. Come to me. And we've been thrown open with the Holy Spirit. All of these things in which Paul will go on and talk about that says our conscience things. But it starts here in this passage because like in that Leviticus section about tattoos and clothes, one of the biggest divisions of fellowships is how they eat. So their issue was that they went into the house of an uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay? Now, here's the problem. They're saying there is no way their kitchen in Cornelius' house is what? Kosher. Y'all see that kosher salt? We're big kosher salt fans at the Woodhouse. There is no way Cornelius is serving kosher, right? You are going to be unclean. Now, never mind that Jesus has made you clean. We don't want to give our religion up, though we've said we've given our lives up to Jesus. This is the issue. So what does Peter do? He doesn't argue with them. He simply says, hey, let me tell you my experience because In light of the resurrection, everything has changed. Look up here on the screen. Their issue was this. You're not being an observant Jew. Do we lose the screen? It's like dead. Oh, there we go. The real issue is you're not living like a proper Jew. But the real issue is, no, you're not living in light of the resurrection. Because what we're going to see is this Holy Spirit is going to totally overturn and upend their religion. So what does Peter do? He tells them their experience. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. This is the whole story Luke told us in chapter 10. Let's follow along. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet, imagine a big picnic, right, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw, what, four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. What does that mean? All the stuff Peter never ate. So for Peter, this ain't just a vision. This is a nightmare. This is like for a Texan that here comes tofu and Brussels sprouts and like slugs and whatever. And you're just like, whoa. So then what does the voice say? Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I pulled up to a truck behind a truck in Garland that said Acts like 1013. They picked up the one from the chapter before. It said, rise, kill, eat eat and it had like seven like stickers of ducks flying and it was like hunter for life (laughs) this is a texan nightmare it was also a jewish nightmare and he says get up peter kill and eat so what does peter say he's way holier than jesus or whoever this voice is he said i replied surely not lord don't you know that nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth so now we learn this voice, this Lord, is patient, okay? Because you cannot out-holy Jesus. Just stop it if you're trying to out-holy Jesus, okay? He says, a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now stop here. God has overturned what God said these people should do. Take heart and be encouraged. Our God is a God not just of new creation, but new waves. So he could have not just these people, but all the people. And he recognized that these things that he said to make these people separate, distinct, holy. Why? So that all the world could say, look at those people. Look at their God. Now he's saying, 
I don't just want this tribe of Israel. I want the whole world. That was my plan all along. Israel and their holiness didn't get there. So Jesus, who was for what Israel could not be and did what Israel could not do, came and blew open the doors for God's new creation, way bigger than Israel, way bigger than Israel today over there and all the people fighting for a piece of land. God's not interested in that land as much as he is all the whole earth renewing and reconciling it to himself. And what he says, if you read further in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, is that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them. We begin to wake up, and Peter's beginning to wake up in this vision that all the barriers, all the religious divisions, all, no matter your sin-stained existence before, no matter the Romans' religious affiliations before, all of those barriers have been broken down in Jesus On the cross, we're going to see there is no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. You are all equals in the kingdom of God. And by the way, this kingdom is a kingdom of priests. You're even more than the original Israel, where only a few were priests, and only a few could go and do these things, and only a few could have access to God. You're all priests. You're all equal. All of this because new creation has come. So when we preached through Ephesians, we, you may be remembering that in the cross of Christ, whatever barrier there was, God took a wrecking ball called the cross and knocked it down and says, whosoever will may come. Jew, Roman, Gentile. And so it's not just about the menu, it's about the fact that when you write, wipe the buffet clean, you're able to sit down with whomever because whomever should come to Jesus. This is what's happening. So, this happened three times, he says in verse 10, and it was all pulled up to heaven again. Watch what happens when Jesus wrecks your religion. You ready? Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea. Now, put on your detective caps. Peter didn't say it here, but Luke told us in chapter 10, Cornelius had a vision. Remember? The angel. Go get Peter. Right? Took them a day to get to Peter. God got to Peter first and said, wipe the buffet clean. I'm overturning the religion. And don't you know, he gives Peter an opportunity to act on it. Here's what I love about prayer. It's like the saying goes, don't pray for patience. Why? Because God is going to give you toddlers. What he's going to do is he's going to say, yes, yes, you want patience? Yes, this is good for you. Okay, here's an opportunity to be patient. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and they said, I was so angry with this person and I kept saying, God, take my anger, take my anger, take my anger, take my anger. And she said, you know what God did? I said, what? She said, he said, why don't you ask me to give you strength to do the next loving thing to that person? Just take one step in love and see what that does. 
She said she prayed to take away my anger for months. But when she shifted gears and said, what if I just tried to do one kind thing and love that person? She said, boom. It's like the, the crusty anger mud just dispelled and just dispersed away from her heart. Because so many times when we pray, we are entering in to what God has been doing in us. And he wants us to be awake to that. And then he gives us opportunities to live into that. Peter has just experienced this vision. He's tried to out-holy Jesus. But then instantly, here comes these three men. Doom, doom, doom. And Peter has a choice. Is he going to go with them or is he going to not go with them? And it is loaded with kingdom potential, what he chooses to do. Just like so many of our ordinary decisions. You may not know how far-reaching that lunch is with that person. You may know how powerful that phone call, that text message, that note, that encouragement, that showing up when they needed it is. And Peter has one of those opportunities where if he doesn't show up, Cornelius and his household are not invited in to the kingdom of God. Peter has a choice. And what does he do? He doesn't gripe or try to out holy Jesus. Now, what does he say? The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. What that reads there is the spirit said, have no distinction about going with them. Because what it surely means is he's going to have to share a table with them. And that's what these legalistic dudes were all upset about. So these six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. It's really God that's on trial here. Do y'all remember in verse 3, they were all bent out of shape because Peter went into their house? Who told him to go into the house? The Spirit says, have no hesitation, do it. This is what we're invited into when we pray. This is what we're invited into when we encounter God. It's not just to have this holy, religious, separate experience. We're invited to connect with God, but when we connect with God, listen, He's always going to push us to connect with others. When Jesus said, was asked, what's the greatest commandments? You know it. You know it by heart, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. A nice Jewish answer. Then he snatched up right behind it. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The closer you get to God, the closer, watch out, he's going to drive you to others. And Peter is no different. So, he told us about the um, message. This is all in chapter 10. And they went into his house and he said, hey, send a Joppa for Simon who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. God's on trial because he sent Peter. And I wonder how many of you guys, how many, this is what I've been thinking of, and this is what is, the Spirit has really driven me to sort out. How many of my relationships are with people who are not in the proverbial kingdom of God, who are not in if there is a distinction to make, there are those who are in, there are those who are out. And I wonder how much am I interacting with Cornelius's? I wonder how many I'm interacting with that are lost or that are looking. Cornelius was looking. I wonder how many are just straight up left out. Maybe they're in the back corner of God's kingdom house he's built without divisions. And because there's no divisions, that means we can feel free to walk back to that corner and say, you know what? There's room at the table here for you. 
for the lost person who's in a different zip code, hey, what would it look like to journey with you, not sitting there saying, drop to your knees and give me the Lord's Prayer, but what would it look like to take one step, one conversation, and if your conscience allows you, because you know what, he's overturned our religion, if you want to have that over a beer or caffeine or you name it, what would it look like to partner with this person? Because who knows if you're partnering with something that God is up to. One of the most fascinating ideas in missiology, the study of missions, there is such a thing, evidently. I love this concept. Mission is partnering with what God is already doing in our neighborhoods. If our church is going to reflect more and more this kingdom the new creation has brought with anyone, open door policy, able to sit and share a meal, able to sit and worship alongside of us, if God is going to bring more and more, and I don't know if he will or not, I don't want to program it, but I do want to pray and live in such a way that I've got my eyes and my ears open to what he's doing, hello, right around us as we see car after car pass and home after home full of people who might be lost looking or just simply left out. You know, in the megachurches, they have the benefit of having just a nice, good space for people to come and sit and hear the word of God, to hear the gospel call, whosoever will come. And people in our culture are very apt to just go and sit and enjoy and hear and have their guard down, even if it's just for an hour on a Sunday. But you know, in my experience, I came from a church of about 1,200 folks every Sunday. And, and I saw the people who came and stayed and bought in were the people who were invited because God had already been on them. He had already been up to something in the neighborhood. And all we did was like solemn measure for the Dallas Mavericks. We just come and we clean up. Somebody's already shot the ball and we come and give a Zaza tap. Or is anybody with me? The Mavericks are playing tonight. Pray for the Mavericks. My wife is not with me. We don't save anyone. God is already laying the groundwork. All we do is come in and we clean up the rebound. This is what I'm trying to get at. Peter goes and God has already laid the groundwork. So much so, look at verse 15, that as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. What's he talking about? Acts chapter 2. Y'all remember Pentecost? Did your kids come home with the little fire hats, the little flame things that they colored? He said, guess what? Man, it was the craziest thing. I never saw it coming. Before I even got to the invitation, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And what he means is it was evident. It was tangible. You could see it. They were probably speaking in tongues. And he was floored. And it's like, boom, the light went off. Look at verse 16. Then I remembered what the Lord Jesus had said. John baptized with water, but you guys will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What he says is this. 
oh my goodness, it's not just my experience that validates it. It's not just the presence of the Spirit that validates it. It's Jesus himself said, watch out, dude. He's going to not just dunk you with water. He's going to dunk you with the very Spirit and breath and life of God, and you're going to be able to see it, and it's going to propel you out into relationships with others. It's going to connect you to not just Jews, but Gentiles, not just rich folks, but slaves, not just men, but women. The Spirit is working to dismantle all of these divisions that we thought were so right and good, and God says, no, keep your eyes and ears open because I'm dismantling this, and I'm overhauling all the relationships. And I don't think it was just Peter that remembered that he said this. He's remembering, oh my gosh, how many dinner parties did I go to with prostitutes and tax collectors? (laughs) He's got to sit there and realize, wait a minute, I'm on trial for doing what Jesus our Lord did for three plus years. And no one stopped and said, wait a minute. You know, shouldn't we keep doing what Jesus was doing and like go at the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and talk to the Samaritan woman that Jews had, would never touch? Man, shouldn't we keep doing what Jesus was doing? And we wonder how we look at this passage and say, this, man, what is this? I've never been preaching and the Holy Spirit just dunks people. And we say, wait a minute. Because if we're not out holying Jesus, we're not following him to where he would be. Amy just got back from Waco this afternoon. And on the way here, she was telling me, um, she went out with her sister. And one of the things they had going was an inaugural wine fest. Okay, And so evidently, there is a compound in Waco of some religious um, fundamentalists. And they have about a thousand people in this town. And so um, these wacky Wacoans, God bless them, uh, they came to this place and they held up signs that says, repent or burn in hell. And they were talking and saying, don't drink wine. And so we're like, well, yeah, I mean, don't get drunk. But like, wait a minute. So she said that she was talking with her sister and these people, they were giving out samples like yay big. And the people that were giving samples, yay big, turned around and said, you guys follow Jesus? They're like, yes. They said, what was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into Dr. Pepper. But so often we want to settle for these stuff and perceptions of Jesus, not Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus and when we try to follow what the Spirit, who Jesus says, is like a wind that blows where it will. He just is up. He's on the move. When we follow that person, it's wild. It sends us to tables we'd never want to be at. And we want to say, wait a minute, nothing unholy or unclean has ever come upon uh, my mouth. Nothing has ever entered my ears because it's got bad words. I can't engage in this culture that's grasping at truth. I can't engage with any of my friends who don't follow Jesus and wait a minute Jesus is like wait dude but I'm here how can you not come to the bar if I am and again I don't want to make it about drinking because you shouldn't drink if you have a problem with alcohol it's just that simple you know but but and and you do so in grace and recovery because we only have one Lord but you also shouldn't worry if your brother has tattoos and he's sought the Lord and he feels okay with having tattoos In their day, Paul's going to say, hey, if you feel weird about eating food that was sacrificed in religious rituals that weren't Christian, if you feel weird about it, great, don't eat it. But if you don't feel weird about it, great, eat it. But here's the thing, Christian A and Christian B, don't get bent out of shape with the other person. 
on Facebook, I saw a lot of people, and I was getting bent out of shape with Christian A. And I had to check my heart and say, you know what? Brothers and sisters, we keep the gospel central. And everything else, I've just got to kind of let loose. And I've got to stay fixed and focused on the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Because it's there that I see how lovable I am and how lovable they are. Because sometimes I feel like it's harder to love the religious nut than it is the person who's never whiffed religion. Are you with me? And I'm calling us as a church to be open to both. And trust that the Spirit of God can come in unexpected and surprising ways if we're looking and partnering with Him. And we can make this church and our missional communities and our tables open door policy. We are open for business. Whosoever will, come. And Jesus, I promise, will come to you. And He will invite you to come and follow Him. So, let's close up with this uh, quote. Of course, they said, you know, they, they praised God. They had no objections because what did Peter say? If God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? We have got to get out of his way if we want to follow him. It's hard to follow somebody if you're standing in the way of what God is doing in our midst. So I think about this, you know, maybe I invite you to pray as kind of an application sort of thing. Maybe I invite you to pray in this way. This is what really hit me between the eyes this week, okay? Where are the dividing walls in your mind, in your heart, in your relationships? What's the barrier that says, I am safely over here and they're safely over there? What is that dividing wall? Now, some of those dividing walls may protect you from difficult relationships, okay? Some of those dividing walls, like we've talked about alcoholism, that dividing wall needs to stay, right? Because you don't want anything in your life being a Lord that's not Jesus, okay? But if you have the kind of dividing wall that the cross obliterated, if you've got one of these isms, the racism, and oh, I'm not a racist, but is there something you need to tap? Maybe the Lord is touching you on the shoulder and you've got to check this prejudice. Is there a sexism and any kind of ism? Is there just some kind of revulsion against these certain kinds of people? I don't know what it is. And maybe it's a dividing wall just in a relationship, but I think we need to name those in grace because then we hold them with loose hands and we can ask then the second question, what would the Holy Spirit love to do with that? If the Holy Spirit had his way, if we really prayed, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. Thy kingdom come, not mine. What would that look like? And hold that in your imagination. And then what I'm going to do on this third question as well is I'm going to try to pray in this way with this division in mind. How has the cross and the resurrection changed this? What has the cross done in light of the resurrection? All those barriers of religion or isms are beaten down, broken down. And also all of those relationships now, God has said, who, the one who's reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against him, has said, guess what? Here's what the cross means. Every sin, every barrier, everything that stood in your way between you and God and you and others has been wiped clean. Every sin has been paid for. 
Don't believe me? Colossians chapter 2. Every sin nailed to the cross, period. Jesus died one time, and every division and barrier between you and God and you and others has been destroyed and demolished, which makes it that much easier for you to run to the cross. And when you run to the cross and follow him down from it into the empty tomb, you see, ah, black and white goes technicolor, and you can see everything in light of the resurrection because Jesus is who he says he is. He's done what he said he'd do, and everything has been made new. And if it's not new yet, it will be. The resurrection shows us that, and we can live in that light if we surrender those barriers to him. So I would just invite us to pray these words as a church with an open door policy. I invite you to pray this silently with me. It'll be up on the screen. This is a prayer that I've been trying to pray and live into this week. And as we close and the worship team comes up, let's just close with this prayer. Holy Spirit, lead us to the lost, the looking and the left out with open ears to hear open arms to serve, and open mouths to speak. And I think that order is important. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. And now we come to the table, the table that God obliterated the divisions from. And we remember the cross that obliterated our sin. You can live as one in whom sin doesn't have to reign. He's obliterated that reign and dominion. It's our trouble when we sneak back into it. And so we come to the table and remember that Jesus' sacrifice was for the world and it was for us and it was once and it was for all. And so we invite you, if you are in Christ, if you are living in the light of the resurrection, to come and remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, as we stand together, as we take communion, as we sing together, we invite you to respond and to come to Jesus. Tonight's benediction is a prayer for openness by Carol Penner. Jesus, you open us to new life, new hope, new possibilities. You conquer the way we close up, close down, and close in. Jesus, lover of us all, Open our hearts to feel your compassion for people we would rather walk by. Open our ears to hear the cries of the suffering deep inside where we cannot fail to be moved. Open our understanding to new ways of living that do not diminish anyone. Open our eyes to see the vision of this world as you would have it. May these prayerful words on our lips become the meditation of our hearts as we live in the ways that are acceptable to you. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, go in peace.